I wear my cap and gown and destroy my competition, thus increasing my renown. Well, I don't mind your mixed reviews. I simply do not care. But when you call me stupid, that is totally unfair. I am the genius Lanny Poffo. You really should applaud. Instead, you cut me to the quick by calling me a fraud. Oh, yes, those little sly remarks, they make me grind my teeth. There's evil on the surface, and there's poison underneath. But I'll be getting sweet revenge. Yes, everyone will pay. For those who stoop to slander, I will make you rue the day. I'm planning some atrocities for every foe and fan. I am the genius Lanny Poffo, the world's smartest man. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I'm your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 54 of Shut Up and Wrestle, a very special episode that I'm doing for a very different reason this week. Of course, we've all learned by now of the unfortunate, tragic, and untimely passing of Lanny Poffo which occurred on February 2nd. Lanny was 68 years old. Um, at the time of this recording, the, the causes of death are not known, but we do know that Lanny, who lived these days in Ecuador, in South America, was visiting New York City at the time of his passing. Somebody that he had been in touch with and that he's been good friends with for a very long time is my colleague, Keith Elliott Greenberg. And in fact, they were supposed to meet the day before Lanny passed away, unfortunately. And because Keith is a mutual friend of both Lanny and myself, I thought that it would be appropriate this time around for the very first time to bring a guest back to Shut Up and Wrestle. So I brought Keith back for the first time since he first appeared on the show about a year ago to discuss Lanny and uh, what he meant to the business and his memories of the man. So that's what we'll be doing on this specific episode of Shut Up and Wrestle, a very focused edition, which still, of course, ties into the running theme of this show, which is celebrating old school wrestling and celebrating the people who made it so special. So before we get to that conversation that I had with Keith Greenberg, just want to mention a couple of quick things. First of all, a, a reminder that uh, my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, has been recognized by the Library of Michigan as one of the Michigan Notable Books of 2022. They are having a ceremony, an award ceremony, on Saturday, April 22nd in Lansing, Michigan, and um, I believe it is open to the public. I was going to post links to that, but I think that the library website is currently down, so that might have to wait. However, if anybody was interested in coming down or even just saying hello, I will be in the Detroit, Lansing, Michigan area the weekend of April 22nd. So I wanted to make everybody aware of that. Also wanted to mention that I recently had the pleasure to return to the Chat, Grapple, and Cheap Pops podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts to guest on. They invited me back, and it's part of their uh, one of their most recent episodes, which you can find on their YouTube page, or you can find it in all the usual places that you find your great podcasts. Again, the name of it is Chat, Grapple, and Cheap Pops. Please do check that out. It was a lot of fun. Now, Without any further ado, I would like to get to this conversation because it was very important to me to do this, and really, about a day or two, not even, after Lanny passed away, I got the idea to kind of put this together as a way to pay tribute to the man. Keith had also recently appeared on Busted Open Radio to talk about Lanny, so this can be sort of considered a, a companion piece to that. So I will take you to the conversation that I had with Keith Elliott Greenberg about his dear departed friend, Lanny Poffo, right now.
Okay, so for this week's episode, and for a very good reason, we are, um, I'm having back my very first return guest since I've been doing Shut Up and Wrestle. It's been over a year now, and Keith is the first guest who's been invited back, and it's for a very important reason. Uh, of course, we've all been touched and saddened by the recent passing of Leaping Lanny Poffo, who died on February 2nd. And so I wanted to bring back my very good friend and colleague, Keith Elliott Greenberg, to the show because Keith and Lanny were actually very close. And Keith was a very good friend of Lanny's. And so since Keith is a mutual friend of myself and of Lanny Poffo, I thought it would be a fitting opportunity to bring him on board, to bring him back to the show, to talk about Lanny and some of his memories and his legacy and, and what he thought of him as a wrestler and as a person. So that's what we'll be doing this week. Keith, welcome back. Under unfortunate circumstances, welcome back to Shut Up and Wrestle. Okay, thanks Thanks a lot, Brian. And I'm, I appreciate you uh, dedicating some time just to talk about Laddie. Well, you know, when, when this happened, and obviously the initial shock and all that kind of thing, but I also started thinking with a platform that I have and it being a show that's focused on classic wrestling, old school wrestling, when somebody like this leaves us and I am in touch with somebody that I know was close with him and knew him, it just seemed like a great opportunity to to talk and remember, you know, in, in a way that really only people that that knew him well could do. And, and I wanted to say, I, I know you have a lot to say, but if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in all the years that you have been writing for about wrestling and back to working for WWE and all that. Would you say that Lanny was the wrestler that you actually became the friendliest with in real life? Uh, maybe so, because I have certainly um, gotten together with other wrestlers. I've certainly had very friendly communications with other wrestlers through the years. And because you and I still write about uh, the sport of Kings, uh, that, that, those friendships continue to this day. But um, I think in terms of consistently, Lanny was, because Lanny and I would get together when we were in the same place. Uh, you know, if Lanny was in the New York area, he always let me know. Um, you know, I met Lanny's, I, I was doing a story, but I met Lanny's mother when I was uh, doing a story about the final days of Randy Macho Man Savage. He invited me to his home in Ecuador. I didn't go, unfortunately. I'd been to Ecuador before and just never followed up. And as I said on Busted Open Radio when I was interviewed about this, you know, Lanny was so possible. Uh, he was so uh, healthy, it seemed, that I figured, OK, you know, I don't have to make this the first priority to go visit Lanny in, in Ecuador because I'm obviously going to see Lanny when he's in the States, you know, a half dozen times before I get around to making that trip. And not only that, like you said, uh, it, it did seem to come out of nowhere. I mean, he was 68 years old. Uh, there's sometimes where we people in wrestling who die and either they're very old or there's reasons that we can understand and wrap our heads around. We don't know the details of this yet. Uh, he did, like you said, I, I, I was friends with him on social media and I know he had been in the New York area. Like you said, he had just seen the Broadway show wicked. I he posted pictures from that. I think the day before. So it really was. Right. And, and, and he had um, invited me to go to this Italian restaurant, Il Molino last week in, in midtown Manhattan. So, you know, this doesn't did not seem like somebody who was sick. You know, he was out there eating Italian food and having spent some time with him, I know when he would eat a meal like that, then he would change his diet for a few days mm. because he was extremely health conscious, conscious. And, um, you know, yes, in his younger years, he had dabbled in steroids, as had everyone during that period. But I don't think he was ever. A, I know he was never a blatant abuser. He mm. was a dabbler because he was trying to cosmetically enhance himself. He was not a, an excessive drinker. If you know, if we were drinking some wine, uh, I was usually the one doing most of the drinking, and I was I was conscious of it because. You know, I wanted Lanny to feel comfortable. He was never a drug user. In fact, 
he felt he he condemned that and he thought that it ruined both people's health and uh and their financial health as well so again this is not a guy who i he was a very young 68 and he also seemed to be i don't know uh, again just watching him from afar you'd know better than I would, but he seemed to be genuinely enjoying life. He seemed to be at a point in his life where he was at peace. And I mean, I, you know, with the loss of his entire family, Randy and his parents and everything, he, he seemed to be, I don't know, kind of like the torchbearer of the legacy of the Pafo yes, family. So that kind of made it. me sad, you know, to lose him. Yeah, in that way. He, he enjoyed it in that, at, um, you know, meet and greets, he would bring uh, the Hall of Fame ring because, you know, Randy had passed away. So they gave Lanny the Hall of Fame ring and he would bring the Hall of Fame ring and pose for pictures with the Hall of Fame ring. And, um, you know, he had uh, he had grandchildren and he was, you know, a very excited grandfather. And he used to talk to me about, you know, oh, I'm coming up to the States and I'm I'm going to see, you know, my grandchildren and then I'm going to, you know, swing by and do a meet and greet somewhere or I'm going to do a fan convention somewhere. So life was going pretty well for him. Now, Randy didn't have kids, right? Uh, or, no, he or did, did not. So and Randy, as you know, uh, Randy did not enjoy spending money. Um, and <laughs> and Randy's uh, Randy's philosophy, which he learned from his father, Angelo, who had wrestled as the miser at one point, right, was, right. <laughs> uh, was, you know, you save your money and you don't end up, you know, broke. You don't become a dark side of the ring story. Ironically, wasn't there a dark side of the ring on Randy? There yeah. was. There was. Well, well, I mean, look, dark side of the ring didn't exist then. But that was how the entire Pafo family looked at uh, being thrifty. And, you know, as you know, sometimes uh, Randy was derided because of his half Jewish ancestry for being uh, incredibly cheap, although no one would say it to his face. And Lanny would say, you know, I'm proud to be a cheap Jew. In fact, my Italian Catholic father is a cheap Jew. We're all cheap <laughs> Jews because we have money now because we didn't blow our money. So uh, Randy. uh you know, he saved a lot of money and, and the money went to his third wife and his mother when he passed away, which is actually quite wonderful because both Pafo boys really loved their mother. They loved both of their parents. Uh, but Angelo had passed by that stage. And then um, sadly, Judy Pafo died. And then Lanny apparently got that share. And so Lanny was living very well because he had the money he'd saved and he had been very smart with saving money. And now he had the money that Randy had saved and Randy never spent anything. I was once in a car with Randy and he got a, a, a fan to pay for his parking at the gym. So Lanny had all of that. And I mean, I think I was thinking about this earlier I guess uh, Randy would be happy to know that I'm sure eventually this money will trickle down to Lanny's grandchildren and hopefully they use it for productive ends, you know, and they use it to educate themselves. And I want to say, too, because I'm thinking about the, the whole Italian and Jewish thing, and it reminds me that, which is also my background, but it reminds me that you, um, and I, I mentioned this online, but you helped to facilitate, actually, the only time I ever really spoke at length with Lanny, which was the interview I did with him for my book on the Sheik, and he was actually the first person I talked to, and that was all because of you. And, and I remember he even said to me when we started, he said, if Keith tells me to talk to somebody... I'm going to talk to somebody. So if you're a friend of Keith, then you're worth talking to. And and we had a great conversation. And when we got to that topic, and I'll share this with you because I think you might appreciate it, but he told me this joke because we were, we finished up talking about the whole Italian Jewish thing because I was remarking, I think he said to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that he was actually raised Catholic. So his father yes, was, was the Catholic one. He was Italian. He was raised Catholic. 
And so then I pointed out to him, as he knew, of course, that since his mother was Jewish, that sort of made him both, because in the Jewish faith, if your mother's Jewish, you're considered Jewish under the rules right. of the Jewish faith. And so he said to me, well, then I feel comfortable telling you this joke. And this is the joke he told me. He goes, four Jewish women are having dinner at a restaurant. The waiter comes over and says, is anything all right? Get it? Is anything all right? Not is everything all right? Wait, wait. <laughs> okay. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I get I'll it. Do it again. I get it. I, I tell you Maybe it wasn't tell, that great of a joke. I liked it. No, he, no that, I that, you that going to tell the Woody Allen joke. You know, no. the Woody Allen, like the food here is terrible. Yes. And such small portions. And actually, it's the yeah. way Lanny told um, that, it that, that, In other words, like they're going to complain look, and about Lanny everything. And I, Right. right. But, but and you know, it's funny because I think you're you also are at the tail end of this. Like nowadays, you know, a lot of my cousins are half Italian, half Jewish, the younger cousins. But back when, um, you know, like the Pafos were growing up or even you were growing up, that was oh, that was considered like the term mixed marriage was yes. almost something scandalous. And it, it so, was. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it wasn't in a way it was, you know, it presented a different challenge, like because uh, I also my first marriage was interfaith as well. And I don't know, it's just something that people took very seriously because it had an impact on how you raise your children and what decisions you make. You know, on the one hand, you, you, you're able you, you don't have to deal with the things that say. Uh, an interracial couple has to deal with where you're constantly being judged in public, right? Because people right. don't know by looking at you that you're two different religions, right. but you have to deal with the issue of, you know, these things. How do we raise our kids? How do we, how do we get married? What does that look like? There's all those kinds of things right. that, that you got to deal with. And, and I'm thinking, especially back when Angelo and his wife got together, which would have been what the fifties or forties. Yeah, it would certainly be the early fifties. Yeah, it had to be even tougher uh, to 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 pull off. And and Randy had that unique distinction. I think right, uh, Medusa Michelli also has the yes, same right, background. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, um, uh, Victoria, um, you know, she well, she's. Uh, part Jewish. She considers herself Jewish. I know. I think she has like a high tattoo on her back, on oh, okay. the back of her neck. Um, but, you know, Kelly Kelly would be half Jewish. So, I didn't know uh, that. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, although she always seemed to feel that it was fun. I, I think she came from another era. Well, I always have my own personal joke that I tell people I'm, I'm half Jewish and half Italian. If I can't get it wholesale, I steal it. The, the, right, which of course that's also an that's a Jackie Mason joke, by the but way. But that's also an antiquated joke, right? Because <laughs> you know, although the the you know the Italian organized crime still exists, they've been uh, overshadowed in some ways by Russian organized crime, and at least in New York, Russian organized crime. A lot of those mobsters are primarily Jewish from the former Soviet Union. But even outside of organized crime, Italians always had that stereotype of being thieves, of just being flat out thieves. Which I don't think exists anymore in terms right. of stereotypes. Yeah. But but uh, but to get back to Randy, I mean, Lanny, actually, um, I'm assuming that your friendship or your, and your acquaintance goes back to when you were working for WWE, yes, right? Very early on when both of those guys came in. Um, immediately. Those guys uh, bonded with myself and Ed Rusciutti, uh, who was the editor of, at the time, and later Luigi and Frito, who was a writer for WWE's uh, magazines or WWF magazine back then. Um, there was a warmth that both of them had. And, um, you know, they both liked their fans in a time when you were supposed to kayfabe. They both liked their fans and they did not have a problem with breaking barriers and being friends with people who didn't take bumps for a living. And, you know, we used to talk like the way you and I were just speaking about our family backgrounds. We used to talk about that kind of thing all the time and, you know, joke all the time about, you know, 
stories about their grandparents. And, you know, uh, yes, we spoke about the business an awful lot, but it very much was a friendship very quickly. It was much easier with Lanny because Lanny was not as big of a star. And, you know, Lanny, Randy used to get mad at Lanny and say he had, quote, odd ways, which he undoubtedly did. And, um, you know, I have odd ways. You know, I'm a little weird. Yeah, but and for anybody so, to say that, Randy Savage really is not one to be pointing out people's right, odd ways. Right. <laughs> odd ways. Right? Odd ways. And you could, you could imagine those those words coming out of Randy sat through <laughs> Randy Savage's lips like odd ways. You know? <laughs> and um, so I would sometimes travel with Lanny from city to city. And we would, I told the story on Busted Open, you know, we would stop off in museums. We would stop off in bookstores. In fact, when I was at the Royal Rumble in San Antonio, I had this flashback to being at the Royal, not no, being in San Antonio for a WWE show and Lanny and I managing to go on a tour of the Alamo and then going into the Alamo bookshop together. You know, this is like in the middle of a day when, he has to get somewhere and, and train and wrestle. And, you know, him going through, he's at one shelf looking at books and I'm at another shelf looking at books. And once in a while, he'd like nudge me and point a, out a book that he thought I'd find interesting. And, you know, that's a strong bond when you hang out with somebody like that. And one thing I was thinking about, too, even before the, the WWF years, and I was talking with someone else about this today, too. Um, obviously with people like Lanny and even Randy and so many people, um, they, they're most known for their time in the WWF in that era, but they accomplished so much before they even got there. And the interesting thing about Lanny, and this goes back even to when the, the Poffo promotion ICW is that in a lot of ways, even though he had more eyeballs on him in those seven years that he wrestled for Vince, and, and he was the genius and all that stuff. Um, in some ways, his best years as a performer, at least, maybe not money-wise, but as a performer, and as far as winning titles and everything like that, it all happened before he ever got to the WWF. Yes, and, the, you know, again, Lanny was a very innovative performer. And Lanny, from a technical standpoint, was really an excellent athlete who incorporated a lot of gym, gymnastics into his repertoire. And he was doing a moonsault, I believe, before, you know, if there were other people in North America doing it, maybe it was somebody over in Calgary because Stu Hart would bring right. over people from Japan and people from Mexico and the people from, you know, uh, from England. But Lanny was really ahead of his time. And, um, you know, uh, Rob Van Dam had been quoted, another guy who's in your book, yeah. as saying that uh, he got to tell Lanny in person that um, some of uh, his routine was inspired by Lanny Poffo, the athlete. And because we remember him as either a guy who would lose opening matches as leaping Lanny Poffo or as the genius who was a very entertaining character, I think that gets overshadowed. But when we're talking about the PAFO promotion, the ICW, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Angelo PAFO used to, uh, at one point, just opened a renegade promotion in the territory days. And ICW, they didn't really have much respect for the other territories. I think some of it went into the Knoxville territory, which mm -hmm. had some... NWA affiliation and um, some of it went into the AWA territory and the biggest chunk of it went into the old Memphis territory. And that's where the real tensions arose. And there was a very well-known incident where Randy uh, got into a fight with superstar Bill Dundee outside the gym. Uh, it depends on the account uh, of the, uh, it depends on who is telling the story. In one story, uh, 
superstar Bill Dundee pulled a gun and Randy pistol whipped him with it. In another account, superstar Bill Dundee pulled a gun and held it on Angelo. I could never get the full story out of anybody. Uh, when I once asked Randy, uh, uh, he said, there's a lot of versions of this story. And that was the <laughs> end. <laughs> but but that's how tense it was. And ultimately, um, they combined it. They did an invasion angle in an era when fans believed everything, where I think it was uh, the Paphos came out with Angelo being the, the, the main heel in the group and uh, invaded the Memphis TV show. And that led to some classic matches between Randy and um, Randy and Jerry Lawler, but some really good tag team matches uh, that, that featured Lanny in a prominent position. And I'm also recalling now there was another angle, and I this I was in Bill Watts' territory, where uh, Lanny was tag teaming with Mr. Wrestling 2. And Mr. Wrestling 2 kept bringing up the point that well, Lanny's a good guy, but his father's Angelo Poffo and his brother's Randy Savage, and I have to be uh, careful of him, which I believe was going to lead to Mr. Wrestling 2 turning on Lanny. But then I think one of them came into WWE. I mean, at one point, both of them were there. So I, it might have been Mr. Wrestling 2 who left first. And they came in together, uh, Lanny and Randy, and and yes. it's interesting yeah. to me. Well, I was going to say that well, it yeah. it always seemed that Randy was looking out for him wherever he went, but it it also seemed unusual to me. And maybe you spoke about this, even with Randy looking out for him and always making sure that he had work and this kind of thing. Lanny still seemed like somebody who always deserved a better push than he got. I mean, even as a kid, I would see him and go, this guy is great. And why is he losing all the time? I mean, I could clearly see that he was great. And especially being the Randy's brother. Um, why? And, and how did Lanny feel about that? Did he, fe did he feel uh, like he Lanny deserved more or was he happy with it? No, no. Lanny was very um, serene about it. Hmm. Lanny always said, I mean, consistently, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my brother. As good as I might be, this isn't why Vince brought me up here. Vince brought me up here because Randy wanted me up here. And I'm happy for whatever I have. And uh, there was a brief run where he was, where Lanny was managing Mr. Perfect as the genius. And then Lanny was in main events. Uh, sometimes the point would be Lanny would wrestle Hulk Hogan and uh, for, and and then you know Mr. Perfect would it would intervene, but Lanny was grateful for that and people remembered Lanny for that and he was grateful to his brother and he was grateful to Vince McMahon and really did not walk around with any bitterness except for one thing and this had nothing to do with WWE. And I wrote this down be, be, because I almost forgot about it. At one point when uh, ICW was struggling and they weren't making much money, Ro Rowdy Roddy Piper contacted Lanny. And at the time, the LaBelle promotion in Los Angeles was also struggling. And this probably, in retrospect, would not have been a great move. But... Um, uh, Piper and Chavo Guerrero were in the midst of their feud, which was probably the only really hot angle going on in right. Los Angeles at the time. And Piper saw something in Lanny Poffo and wanted to bring him out there as a heel. And Lanny wanted to work at the Olympic Auditorium. I mean, he's working in Kentucky and he's like, this would be kind of cool being in L.A. And the family needed him because you know, guys were defecting. It was an indie promotion. Uh, and they were like, you know, I think it was both Randy and Angelo were like, you can't go. You know, we we need you. And Lanny stayed. I mean, they were a loyal family to one another. And Lanny always resented that. And that was the only 
resentment he ever expressed to me. Well, they all seemed to be pretty tight knit and pretty close. That was always the impression I got that the brothers and they, you know, looked up to their father and all that kind of stuff. Uh, They loved their father. Um, You know, even though Lanny would sometimes be somewhat amused by Angelo's stubbornness. I mean, Angelo and Randy were very similar. Um, I do have to tell you a good story that I'd mentioned when we were texting before. Um, Izzy Slapowitz was one of the wrestlers in there, going back to the whole like Jewish and Italian thing. And, you know, a lot of fans haven't heard of Izzy Slapowitz. And if, have you, if you've ever seen Izzy Slapowitz, like he came to the ring and he kind of looked like a Hasidic Jew. Like he had these curls. They weren't exactly the side curls that a Hasidic Jew would have, but there was certainly the implication there. And of course, when you have a name like Izzy Slapowitz in the 70s and early 80s, um, this isn't a very inclusive era and you're wrestling in the deep South. You know, you you don't have that gimmick right. to be embraced by. No. But they, they knew what they were doing. They knew what they, they knew were what doing. they were doing. And there was a tag team match, and it was Lanny Poffo and his tag team partner George Weingeroff. So you have a half Jewish guy, Lanny Poffo, and George Weingeroff, who was the son of the manager, gentleman Saul Weingeroff, and George Weingeroff also happened to be blind, which just legally blind, which adds another. <laughs> And they're wrestling Izzy Slapowitz and Doug Vine, who was the only Gentile in the match. And it's like this nothing match, Lanny said, at some small arena with a couple of hundred fans there. Nothing's going on. Completely unmemorable match. And as they're going back to the dressing room, like a commotion breaks out and Izzy Slapowitz has, has punched out a fan. And uh, they get back to the dressing room. I think Randy now gets involved. And he says, like, why'd you do that? Like, why'd you, like, punch out a fan? And he said, he called me a Jew bastard or something like that. <laughs> Randy Savage is all twitchy because it's a family's business. And I don't know if this was ex- his exact wording, but it was something to the effect of schmuck. That's your gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> That is great. That is great. And that was the time that they were in. And I mean, it was a tough time for that promotion. That was, I mean, you know, you hear a lot about families that are, that started territories or ran territories, the funks, the hearts, the, the fullers and all that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, I guess maybe because they were an outlaw, they were just doomed from the start. It just, it didn't last. I mean, it it never I mean, obviously, they weren't part of the NWA, so they weren't really playing well with the other territories, but it just was such a short-lived thing. And not only that, but when I wrote the Sheik book, and because the Sheik was close with them, and he broke, he helped to break Randy and Lanny in and all that, and, you know, but the Sheik was even part of, because there were lawsuits and things that happened, as you probably yeah. know, and and Angelo suing, you know, antitrust kinds of things, and there were there were things that came out in some of those trials or depositions or whatever of the things that were being done against them. I mean, some pretty crazy, shady stuff. Even for those days, like off the top of my head, I remember reading a story where in court, um, this is under oath. Ronnie Garvin claimed that Jim Barnett paid him to hurt either Randy or Lanny. I think Randy in a match where he. He hit him with a cinder block, and I guess it was supposed to be gimmicked, and it wasn't uh, intentionally, like, to try to really hurt him badly. I mean, just really dark stuff was going on. Yeah, and interestingly, Randy didn't hold that against Ronnie Garvin. So you know that story. Oh, I mean, yeah, the the Puffos liked Ronnie Garvin. I think it was understood that, well, you know, it's a rough business. It's a carny business. Like I remember when I wrote Freddie Blassie's book, something similar happened with uh, George Becker went to hurt Freddie Blassie because um, I don't remember which promotions were fighting, but George Becker was representing Jim Crockett Sr. And 
Lassie said to me all those years later, like, George was a good guy. Like, you know, he was the promoter's enforcer, and that's the kind of thing that you did. And I think it was understood that, well, you know, if Jim Barnett's paying you, you know, would you do any better? Would you be any more noble? And I think back then the answer was no. I mean, Jim Barnett is a is is a the the book I, I would love to, if not write, read. I don't know if those stories will ever be told completely. But let, while we're talking about Ronnie Garvin, uh, this is another thing that uh, Lanny told me was there were guys like Ronnie Garvin. And I think for a period, Bob Orton Jr., who were considered so such loose cannons and so uh, prone to violence that there would be periods where there would be incidents backstage and mainstream promoters wouldn't want to use them. And those were the guys who the Pafos would get. And so they had a very tough ensemble of wrestlers. Right. And that's why I think they felt comfortable rolling up on the Memphis territories wrestlers. You know, when you have guys like, you know, Ronnie Garvin and Bob Borden Jr., who was a great, you know, uh, amateur style wrestler on top of everything else. And Randy Savage there. Um, you know, the, it's very likely that the other guys are going to back off. and so. You know, it was very much a territory of renegades. And, you know, there's a certain nostalgia about that era because, yes, you have indies now, but I don't, you know, those territories, like the Paphos territories, came and went so quickly. Uh, no one ever really stopped to chronicle, you know, the every night crazy stories of an operation like this. Right. And, um, you know, it, it was during a time when, you know, you, you, if you were a renegade or a rogue promotion like that, you really would incur the wrath of all these other companies. I mean, and none of this was legal, you know, and they would just come in and try to squash you. I mean, the, the thing with, um, like you were saying, they would use people that, other people wouldn't use one of them again was the sheik because the sheik had been in the 70s so good to them and it helped them out that then by the 80s when he found himself blacklisted and the nwa had blackballed him and kicked him out and the only work he could get was in outlaws he was basically working for the bear man in ontario and the Pafos down south and they they had him come in they let him they recognized him as the united states heavyweight champion with his belt that he owned they let him do his thing. Right. And, and now it extended all the way into Kentucky. Right. And they all were, the well. <laughs> they were loyal, but, but they repaid the loyalty that he showed to them is what I mean. They and, repaid the loyalty. And as you know, uh, Randy was extremely loyal to the Sheik. Loved the Sheik. Yes. Loved him to the point that he even kind of adapted, you know, the whole thing that he would do with Elizabeth, the, the whole to get heat was based on what the Sheik would do with his wife, Joyce, when Joyce was the Princess Salima, like his slave girl, and he would do all that stuff. He would berate her. He would put her in front of he would put her in front of himself to protect himself, all that kind of cowardly stuff that even L Lanny told me flat out that that Randy lifted all that from the Sheik, you know, good naturedly. Oh, uh, Randy was. told me that. Yeah. Randy told me that personally. And I remember when he was first doing that stuff with Elizabeth, I thought I was giving Randy a wrestling lesson, you know, a, a history lesson. And I, and I said, you know, have you ever read about what the Sheik would do with his slave girl? And Randy's like, read about it. I saw it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was, I got a great picture in the book that I really made sure that I hunted down because, um, Randy actually main evented in Kobo Arena against the Sheik multiple times. And it's sort of like a forgotten part of his career. Um, and, you know, I mean, years before he was doing anything of note in the business, that was the first place where he got to do that kind of stuff. And, Lan you know, Lanny was always there and him and Angelo were the tag team champions and that kind of thing. They were always in the mix. 
but Randy was the one who who got the biggest push even there, even down, even at that yes, time. And 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 something that uh Judy Poffo told me was Randy loved the Sheik so much because the Sheik also, as you well know, he kind of gave Randy a lifeline when baseball ended for Randy, when Randy realized he was never going to become a major leaguer and he in a fit, he destroyed all his baseball bats. And then he, uh, you know, was given a job by the Sheik. And Judy Poffo said Randy was so grateful because now he could shift focus to uh, to a new profession and a new calling that he once cooked for the Sheik. And Judy said he made the Sheik cabbage soup. How about that? To be a fly on the wall for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing about about him coming in for him too is that even though Lanny was the younger of the two, he actually started in the business first. Even I mean, not by too much time, but by a year, maybe a few months or whatever, he was in it before Randy. Well, I think that's because Randy's sole focus was baseball. Right. Although, although as you know, Randy still wrestled under a mask as the Spider. Because back then, if you were playing professional sports, you couldn't moonlight as a professional wrestler. And uh, now, in retrospect, I understand that because we know how injured professional wrestlers get. And it would be very risky to moonlight as a professional wrestler because it could ruin your baseball career. I also get a kick out of the fact that he was wrestling as the spider, Randy Savage. And then, you know, all those years later, he would play a wrestler in Spider-Man, which is just right, a strange, strange coincidence. Strange coincidence. And I think I think that in that scene that when you've got like the young Peter Parker as a wrestler, the name, I believe the original name that he uses is the spider before he's renamed the amazing Spider-Man or something like that. It's just a weird coincidence. But um like, yeah, and I hadn't even thought about that. Something else now, this just popped in my brain. Um, well, first of all, Lanny said that Randy, uh, his body was very skinny at the time. So when we, when he would have this mask on, it looked like he had a large head. And then he would get in the ring and just start frantically running the ropes. And fans would go like, what the hell? And they couldn't take their eyes off of him. And Lanny said that was just a testament to Randy's innate charisma. And around that period, if Lanny wanted to go out and meet a girl, and I don't want to talk too much about personal things that Lanny told me because Lanny has a daughter and and grandchildren. Uh, He said that Lanny was more the kind of guy who might meet a girl if she's a fan at the arena. Maybe he'll go to like a, a dive bar. You know, he I would bring him to dive bars with me sometimes. It wasn't really Lanny's scene, but, you know, he didn't feel like he didn't belong there. But Randy was not a dive bar kind of guy. So Randy would want to go to a lounge where people would dress up. And Lanny wasn't confident going to a lounge because he felt the quality of women there would reject him. And, uh, you know, like these women are too expensive for me. (laughs) And Randy would dress up and the two brothers would go out to a lounge and he said she and Lanny said one time Randy went out to a lounge with Lanny and they walk in and Lanny's feeling a little intimidated and Randy's dressed up and some woman sitting on a bar stool and this before Randy Savage is the Randy Savage we know she looks over at Randy she's just swept up by his charisma and she just leans forward and kisses him on the lips. And like Randy goes like, oh yeah. <laughs> I guess that's who Randy was, you know, on living, and off camera. Living the gimmick. Yeah. Living Wh- the gimmick. Which reminds me, and I meant to ask you this. I, I and um I haven't listened, I didn't listen to the busted open interview. So if I ask you things that they asked you, I apologize. But did he ever talk? Deal. I mean, we're just it's okay. Yeah. No, no, I was just curious if did he ever talk about the origin of the whole poem gimmick? Because that's the thing I think that people remember the most about him are the poems. Yeah, I mean, he he wrote poetry. 
he read poetry and he wrote poetry. And I believe he wrote poetry for fun. And then he said, well, I'm a wrestler. I'm a baby face and I'll write nice poems. And he used to scotch tape them inside Frisbees. He he, he used to show me he'd have, you know, hundreds of Frisbees that he'd be lugging around and he'd write poems and he'd type them because this is before computers, you know, very neatly type them out. Uh, You know, all the spelling was correct. All the grammar was correct. And he would scotch tape them to the inside of the Frisbee and then throw them out into the crowd. And this came up on Busted Open. Um, you know, nowadays, fans would throw the Frisbees back. They go, what the hell is this? Right? You know, but Possible. this is, yeah. but, you know, back then, this is during the rock and wrestling era. And there were a lot of little kids there. And those, a lot of those kids or adults now who still have those frisbees. And then I remember when Ray, when Lanny became the genius, he started reading heel poems, which worked a lot better because those were really funny. Yeah, he would and, he would insult the audience, you know, that kind of thing. How stupid everybody yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah, how stupid everyone <laughs> was. And obviously, what a lousy town it was, you know, right. which is, you know really easy to get heat like that you know yeah like the joke is you know you want to insult people in new york you just grab the mic you want to get heat and you you just scream you know yankee suck giants suck rangers suck and there you go you have heat um and that evolved i mean those early promos of the genius those were all poems that lanny wrote and those were not there was no show writer there, there were no script writers backstage. Lanny composed every single word. Lanny went over every effete gesture. Um, you know, Lanny, you know, made himself into the genius, which was an exaggeration of himself. And he, I remember, yeah, yeah, go on. Uh, no, please, please, please. I remember him even telling me that. Remember, he would have a clipboard and. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, it was a yeah clipboard, and he would have different so his poems on there. He would also have a notepad on there, and, and when he'd get thrown out of the ring, he'd start doing mathematical calculations of what he needed to do to rebound in the match. And he told me he deliberately held it instead of holding it at his side, he would hold it to his chest the way a girl. Was was known to carry her school books just to antagonize the crowd even further in that non PC era. Isn't that fascinating? And and I'm glad that you touched on that because uh, I always did feel that was definitely part of the act that he was putting on, and it was it was it was played up by the announcers. Like you'd see this, you know, sometimes obviously not anymore, but back then, uh, I but I was watching some of the the new, uh, well, not new, but the 1980 episodes that from of Championship Wrestling that they put on Peacock recently, which they added, which covers the whole San Martino Larry Zabisco feud, and they're fascinating. One of the things I never realized, but watching them is. With Ken Ken Patera's all over those episodes. He's on every one, and he's and he's heel Ken Patera with the blonde hair, and he's got Grand Wizard as his manager. And without a doubt, they are playing up the the idea that they might be gay lovers, Ken Patera and Grand Wizard. It, it's absolutely on commentary hinted at, talked about the way the wizard is removing Patera's robe and he kneels in front of him. And this is something they would do. And I definitely felt like they were doing it with Lanny. I, I even remember sometimes on some oh, appearances. Oh, Lanny is unquestionable. They, were, they wanted you to, to think that, that he might that he might be gay. Right, right. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And indeed, um, Lanny told me that when um, Roddy Piper called him to come out to L.A., that was the kind of character he wanted to play. Uh, you know, a an effete character who the, the fans would think was gay. And, you know, Lanny's movements as the genius were extremely effeminate and deliberately effeminate. And, um, you know, now, 
Did Lanny move like that a little bit himself? Slightly, but it was an exaggeration. And it, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about Ken Patera and the Grand Wizard because the Grand Wizard was gay. And, you know, oh, you know. Right, right. I mean, you, you pointed this out because I didn't know this till I read it in your book. You know, the, uh, the, the Grand Wizard and beautiful Bobby, his real-life boyfriend, uh, controlled Boston. I never knew that. And so within the industry, I wouldn't say gays were accepted. It was pretty homophobic, but it was known. Uh, and it was one of the formulas, just like you insult local sports teams, you would imply that you were gay and you would get instant heat. It's yeah. not like now when you go to an indie show and everybody there is in love with Effie. You know, right. those, no. they, very different time. It was a way to get a very heat. long time. Yeah. And they were almost always heels. Like I think I'm trying to think of the first time they Ricky ever. Star. Yeah. Ricky Rick Star is an exception. Right. Yes. Ricky Star was an exception. Yeah. But typically it would be a way to get heel heat. It would. I mean, even as recently as Billy and Chuck, which I remember at the time, kind of like shaking my head in disbelief that they would have the nerve to do that in 2003 or whatever it was, but they were. And yeah, Lanny was part of that. And um, I think obviously played up when he was a heel, they, he wasn't really doing it as it, during the leaping Lanny phase, but it was more. You know, people he, would, would yell and call him names anyway, when right. they were, you know, it, heelish fans who, when they would, Want him as a baby face, but that was the easiest insult to throw at anybody in those days. As right. it was. I mean, now you'd be thrown out of the arena for for screaming those. No, things. it's true, and and it's interesting, and 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 you know, I mean, it, it's progress. It's a good thing, but it's ironic for a longtime fan when you see the very thing that the promotions were trying to to goad you into the response they wanted you to have, and I heard it many times and it made me uncomfortable even as a child i didn't enjoy it at all and then in now in present day the sit like you said doing the same thing will get you kicked kicked out immediately from a show and rightfully so i mean it has no well, place and, and, in the show yeah and, and also we we live in an era where if you declare that you're gay and you know this is not I don't want this to turn into like, oh, our country has become so woke because I think this is good. Let me no, I no, I do too. I I do too. It it always made me uncomfortable. Things like that in the wrestling fan base, and even in the way the product was being presented. Because because look, I would always think, and maybe it's because I I mean I'm I try to be as empathetic as possible. But the first thing that would pop in my head when things like that would happen, and you'd have a gay character. And you'd have people shouting, you know, anti-gay slurs at the character in the ring is I would always think, what is it like being a gay person in the audience right now watching this? How how would you feel? And and the horror of, of how you would feel and having to, you know, either you go along with it terrified. Or, or you don't want people to know that you're gay because you don't feel like you're in a safe environment. Those were the kind of things that I would think of even back then. And, you know, it, it's a shame that Lanny is not here because Lanny would love to have this conversation with us. And Lanny could explain it because Lanny played that kind of character. And yet at the same time, Lanny was a sensitive guy who would understand, you know, what it might be like to, uh, you know, for a gay person now or, you know, in, in retrospect. Um, and it's funny now, like when I go to the GCW shows, Effie sells these shirts that says they, they say wrestling is gay and, you know, people who are straight by it. And Effie told me that the reason he sells those shirts is because he's sending a message for those very fans who would have felt terrified and unwelcome before. Wrestling is gay. I'm gay and I like wrestling. Hence, wrestling is gay. Hence, I'm welcome here. That's, it, you know, a very radical thing to do considering what wrestling was. It's also brilliant in a way for those of us who lived through the era, unfortunately, where calling something gay was a way of in, of insulting somebody, you know, uh, of saying it was lame or stupid or weak. I mean, we lived through that time. And so people used to say wrestling is gay as a way to 
make fun of you for being a wrestling fan. Oh, wrestling is gay. Like that was the thing that people would say who didn't like wrestling. And here he is now like subverting this, taking it over, owning it and turning it into something positive, which I think is incredibly cool. Yeah, well, it's funny. Now you're bringing up a memory of mine that I'm not proud of. I was like in 10th grade and I go down to Florida to visit my grandparents and I go to the beach because I'm a loner, you know, and I didn't anticipate I'd meet any girls. I brought a wrestling magazine to keep me company and I ran into these kids I knew from Bayside High School and they were they were Cuban Jews. So their families were their, their grandparents were also in Miami and they were on the same beach. And one kid now in retrospect was, uh, you know, probably gay now that I think back on it. And he's like, what do you have that in your hands for? And he like looked at it and he said, you know, that's very gay. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's wrestling. It's macho. It's right. Drunk. It's manly. I can't even talk to you now. You, you've, you've just upset me. I'm very upset. That's hilarious. That that is hilarious. Every every fan of a certain age remembers having that conversation. That that weird co- of somebody trying to point that out to you as a reason why you shouldn't watch it or whatever. It was it was such a common thing back then. So strange. But with Lanny um, and and the genius thing to tie it into that um, when he got that, and you were there at the time that that was going on. You were there before he became the genius. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that it was created specifically to pair him up with Mr. Perfect at the time. Was it not? They were like a a combo thing. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes. Well, he was with Mr. Perfect and he was also with the Beverly Brothers. Right. But what I mean Um, is he was not the genius before Mr. Perfect. He was specifically turned into the genius. Right. As a manager. Right. To be the manager of Mr. Perfect. He was there as a manager. But he was a manager who was still very athletic. So you could get him in the ring. You could have the baby faces humiliate him. He could still take great bumps. Um, you know, he was great at selling. And he was a per- personality. And so the I think the genius could have remained. I think the genius could have been like the Grand Wizard and transferred to other performers. But, you know, that's not what happened. Yeah, because he already he left even before Randy did, didn't he? I think ninety two he was already out of there. Yeah, but I I'm he had told me, I think he left and he came back. No, he might have left and then came back as the genius. Right. I think I, I think he did briefly leave because they first they got there in eighty five, the two of them. He yes. became the genius in eighty nine, but I think you're right. I was think there is five was it eighty five when they came in? 80, it, yeah, it was right after the first WrestleMania. WrestleMania. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think he did. I think he he was gone for a brief period, and they reintroduced him as the genius. I think that's right. what it was. And this was, you know, I usually uh, didn't like it when somebody was an established entity and they were given a new name. I didn't even like the Matador. I like Tito Santana's Tito Santana. Well, that's the but, era they were doing that with everybody at that time. Right. Everybody was becoming a character. But in the case of the genius, I feel that was a more authentic representation of Lanny Poffo than leaping Lanny Poffo. And he really was the genius. And, you know, <laughs> when I've written stories through the years, I always refer to him as the genius Lanny Poffo rather than leaping Lanny Poffo because Lanny did think he was smarter than a lot of people. And in many cases he was. That's hilarious because it really speaks to the idea that we hear a lot, but you never know how true it is that they try at least in the most successful cases to come up with a persona for you that is based on your actual personality. And those are the best kinds, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And and it's interesting because I saw a trace of that when I read your book, Uh, uh, Lanny Poffo is quoted in your book. He was, he's talking about the chic and he said, he did not have the best diction. And yes. that was how Lanny spoke. He didn't have the best diction. And Lanny was, there was a part of Lanny who was like, what a common person. 
Well, that that happened because I asked him. It was one of my favorite things to try to ask people because why why wouldn't you? I tried to get a, an idea of what did he sound like. There's no recordings of his real voice. There's no known public video. You know what was he like to talk to? And that's where that came up. Where he was like, well, you know. He seemed like uh, a fighter who had been in too many fights and he was a little punchy. And like you said, he didn't have the best diction and he talked like somebody who was from the streets. You know, there was a little bit of that, which was, by the way, it was corroborated, though, by other people. It's not like it was just Lanny, but, you know, uh, he didn't even go to high school. Sheik didn't even go to high school. So there was some truth to what he was saying, but it was the way that he said it. Like you said, it was it was very um, gently judgmental, let's just say. <laughs> gently judgmental is a good way of putting it. And again, that's an interesting thing about Randy and Lanny. Now, I don't know if either of them went to college because they were in the business so, so early, but both Judy and Angelo Poffo were college graduates. In fact, they met, I believe, was it at DePaul? I think it was DePaul University where, where, um, you know, Randy and Lanny's parents met. So, um, and I think she was a swimmer. And of course, Angelo had been the, um, sit-up champion of the U.S. Navy during World War II and then was back in college on the GI Bill. And that's where that romance took place. And there was a picture. I don't, I hope uh, Lanny's daughter has this. It was a great picture of the two of them together in college. And uh, Angelo is kind of leaning back. He's like, you know, propped up on his hands and you see his abdominal muscles rippling and um judy poffo is in a bathing suit because she's a swimmer and she's doing a she's doing a handstand and her muscular feet are in the air and it's almost an it's almost a piece of erotica and <laughs> um judy poffo had that in her house but it was wow. also a stick into like this is where you know randy and uh the genius came from and and Angelo would have you know talking about him being the the sit up champion, he would have was it sit ups or push ups? It was sit ups. It's right? sit ups. Yeah, he would yes. have the number on his jacket, wouldn't he? It was like three thousand and thirty three. <laughs> because after the three thousand, he did thirty three more for every year that Jesus was purportedly alive, which of course later became an issue when he married a Jewish woman because <laughs> Jewish people didn't think that Jesus was the son of God. And um, one more story is when um, they were married uh, at the end of the ceremony, I think it was really a divisive wedding. Like apparently the, it was in a church, but the, the Jews were there, but they were, they sat on one side and the Italian wow. Catholics were on the other side. And uh, when the, the ceremony was over, Angelo's mother said to him in Italian something. And Judy said, I didn't speak Italian, but I knew exactly what she said. What have you done? Oh, my God. Yeah. And, yeah. Wow. You know, what he did was he he started uh, a legacy that none of us could have imagined. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really, if you look back, it all worked out for the best. I mean, one of the most famous, one of the most accomplished wrestling families that ever existed. And, you know, it feels like um, this really does feel like a true end of an era, because like I said, Lanny was like the standard bearer. He he represented the the family now, you know, with everyone gone. And and this is it. And, you know, there's something very bittersweet about that. Right, because, you know, Lanny's daughter is not in the wrestling business. She's a civilian. She's a normal person. And <laughs> I imagine her kids will be, too. And so this is the end. It's like when I, you know, Jacques Rougeau tried to get another one of those wrestling families that were also involved in promotion. And he tried to get his sons involved in the business. And, you know, when his sons decided the business wasn't for them, uh, Jacques told me he cried and he said, but you know, you can't do it for your daddy. You have to do it for you. And right. so, yeah, it, as terms of wrestling, 
That's the end for the Poffo family. It's not the end for the Poffo family in terms of all they can contribute as human beings to the world, but it's, you know, it's not likely that any of them will be going into the wrestling business anytime soon. Well, we have the memories and we have the stories and and I I thank you for agreeing to share some of them um with me for this this episode. I'm really glad that we did this. Yeah, so am I. So am I. There you have it, folks. My conversation with Keith Elliott Greenberg, remembering the life and the legacy of Lanny Poffo, a.k.a. the genius full of glory and renown. And if ever there were a reason to bring back a guest to Shut Up and Wrestle, I thought that was a very good one, and I hope that you would agree. And there will be more guests returning in future times. However, in the weeks to come, we have some new guests coming up on Shut Up and Wrestle. I know originally this episode was supposed to feature the veteran referee Dave Dwinell, author of the book Ringman. However, the Dave Dwinell episode will be coming next week instead. It will be episode 55, so please stay tuned for that. Also, a lot more. I have WWF artist and character designer Tom Fleming on the way. I have got the Midwestern referee and promoter A.T. Huck coming to Shut Up and Wrestle. Lots of good chic stories there. I've got Michael Cavaccini, the author of the upcoming book on the history of Impact TNA Wrestling, as well as Phil Schneider of the Way of the Blade book and podcast, also writes for The Ringer. He'll be coming. And I'm excited to say that some veterans of The Ring also on their way to shut up and wrestle very soon, including Buff Bagwell and Bobby Fulton, among others. And I'll have more updates for that as the weeks go on. So please do keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle. You can find us at our website, suawpod.com. And you can also find us wherever you find great podcasts. That means Podcast Addict, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. So do check us out. You will not regret it. Join the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. That's where all the cool kids go to digest and discuss and debate the episodes on this show. So if you'd like to do that, please do join the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. The Wrestling News. Every morning I contribute to the Wrestling News broadcast. TheWrestlingNews.com, Arcadian Vanguard, brings to you a morning newscast letting you know everything you need to know about the world and the business of professional wrestling. So please do check that out. It's been a lot of fun and very gratifying putting together. So I hope if if you're listening that you do enjoy it. And if you're not, please do check it out. As far as my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, you can still get print, digital, and audio versions of that book on Amazon.com, as well as Barnes & Noble and other places, so please do. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the granddaddy of them all. Get it at pwi-online.com. And Inside the Ropes Magazine, you can get at insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me online, on social media, I can be found at Twitter and Instagram, at Brian R. Solomon. You will also find me on Facebook, my author page on there, Brian Solomon Writer. And on any one of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author page on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that the song is ended. But the melody lingers on. So long, wrestling fans. 